You're listening to Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark about accounting matters because accounting matters. On today's episode, I sat down with Adam Olson to talk about going concern. This has always been an important accounting concept, but in the wake of the roller coaster that was 2020, it has become more relevant than ever and presents new challenges to accounting professionals. We cover the basics in this episode to get your feet wet, but if you'd like to learn more, you can always read ASC 205-40 before bed like my co-host Adam. But if you're more of a fiction reader, we hope you find this discussion helpful. And with that, here's my conversation with Adam. Hi, this is Sarah Cage, and I'm joined by my co-host Adam Olson, Embark's National Quality Leader. And today we're going to be talking about all things going concern. And you know what? I can honestly say there were times this year where I wasn't sure if I was going to be a going concern. What about you, Adam? I hear you there. I mean, I don't think anyone was upset about turning the page on 2020 (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this topic is super relevant because many companies are struggling to decide whether or not they're going concern due to all the uncertainty this year. Um, Could you start us off by giving a brief description of what going concern actually is? Yeah, I think from just like a broad basis, I think one thing to keep in mind is that U.S. GAAP actually doesn't define what the term going concern is. Instead, there's a presumption that, you know, businesses will continue and that continuation is is assumed in the financial statements unless, you know, liquidation is imminent, in which case U.S. GAAP has a different basis of accounting, which is the liquidation basis. Mm-hmm. So really like going concern for the most part is I kind of think of it as like an early warning system. So it's for investors or users of the financials, you know, as management does their going concern assessment, if there's anything to kind of highlight to those, to those users of the financials, you know, Uh the framework for going concern provides that, that warning. Like a check engine light. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Your car's still (laughs) running, but you better do something to check on it. Yeah, for sure. So does this going concern assessment directly affect the entity's accounting? No. So regardless of the outcome of the assessment of going concern, the ongoing accounting will continue as, as is. Like, like I just said, the only you know, change in the way the accounting will occur is if there's the liquidation of the company, in which case mm-hmm. the, uh, the basis of accounting switches to the liquidation basis. And so this is kind of a hot topic. Could you go into some of the reasons why that might be this year more so than in other years? Yeah. So there's, there's actually nothing new about Mm -hmm. going concern. I mean, the it's, it's a relatively new standard. It's been around for a few years, um, but there's no change in the, the guidance itself. I think it's um, received a lot more increased focus just given, you know, the, the events of 2020 with COVID and, you know, declines in economic markets and all of that putting pressure on, on businesses and companies that, you know, we all, we all kind of experienced throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just introduced a lot more uncertainty. And so um, an analysis or an exercise that may have been, you know, otherwise pretty standard, you know, something management knew they had to do um, is now having to have like a, a deeper lens on kind of what they're evaluating and putting more, you know, prudent effort into, you know, completing those assessments. Okay. Yeah. Cause they might've always just no brainer. They're going concerned. Right. Now there's probably a little bit more evaluation that has to take place. And a lot more judgment too. And, yeah. it, and it's not just management as well. So like auditors, um, you know, they're mm-hmm. obviously, you know, interested in going concerned as well. So there's a lot more auditor focus as well. And so, yeah. you know, anytime the auditors, 
have increased focus and unfortunately puts, you know, a lot more undue or do or undue pressure on management as well um, to yeah. be just as prudent. Wow. Okay. So when does a company have to do the going concern evaluation? So it's required each reporting period. Okay. So for public companies, it's not just on an annual basis, but it also has to be done on a quarterly basis. Um, then obviously for private companies who maybe only issue their financial statements once a year, you know, they would do that on an annual basis, but to the extent they issue quarterly financials, it would also have to be done during those interim periods. And I think one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, the going concern assessment is kind of an ongoing assessment. So mm -hmm. there's this concept of a, of a look forward period and a going concern that extends 12 months from the date the financial statements are issued. And so okay. <laughs> you know, each, each quarter, it's kind of moving that, you know, yeah. goalpost again. So um, it's an ongoing evaluation that's done each period. So they're predicting what's going to happen <laughs> in the next 12 months. And if anybody knows, let us know, because I'd love to know what the next 12 months are going to look like. Can you walk us through what you actually do as you perform the going concern evaluation? What does it look like? Yeah. So just from like a high, I guess a high level perspective, mm -hmm. I mean, you can really think about the, the assessment itself into kind of two steps. Yeah. Um, so step one is kind of looking at whether or not substantial doubt has been raised, mm -hmm. um, which is more or less whether it's probable that the entity will be unable to meet its obligations right. as they come due over the next 12 months. Uh-huh. If that substantial doubt kind of trigger is met and it is raised, then you move on to step two, which is then evaluating whether or not that substantial doubt exists. Mm -hmm. And so the existence of substantial doubt allows management to consider any plans that they put in place. And if those plans can mitigate that, that substantial doubt. And so to the extent they can, then, you know, substantial doubt does not exist, but to the extent those plans do not mitigate, then there is substantial doubt about the entity's ability to continue as a going concern. So um, if you get to step one, you do that assessment, you don't mm -hmm. feel like a substantial doubt is raised, you, you stop there. There's nothing else to do. But, okay. you know, if you go beyond that, you have to take it to step two. Step two. And so you said substantial doubt a couple times in there. And that's just fancy talk for management judgment. <laughs> we all know that. So I guess what would you, how would you define substantial doubt? How could we kind of, I guess it can't be quantified because that's the whole point of judgment. Right. How can you drill down a little bit in there? I would say this is probably the tricky part, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, there there is a ton of judgment that's necessary. The guidance really suggests that you have to consider, you know, and they use this term, relevant conditions or events mm -hmm. that indicate that it's probable the entity will be unable to meet its obligations as they come due over that next 12 months. So it's really that mm -hmm. assessment of all those relevant conditions and events that that you have to go through in order to figure out, okay, in the aggregate, as I look at all these things, do we feel like substantial doubt's been raised? And so it, that sounds like it's just going to be a hard thing to, to really nail down and probably a lot of conversations with auditors and some back and forth there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely, you know, it's an assessment that depending on, you know, how at risk the company may be of tripping mm -hmm. that threshold, there's probably going to be lots of discussions and analyses done. It could involve conversations with people outside accounting. So even, you know, working with legal sales and marketing to the extent that forecasts and things like that are necessary. And then obviously, you know, working with your auditors too, because mm -hmm. kind of in tandem with management's assessment, auditors also have a requirement to do their own assessment mm -hmm. as well. There's so. might be a little bit less biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So you talked about the look forward period earlier, that 12 month analysis. Can you illustrate what that looks like in practice? Sure. So we can, uh, you know, if we take like a calendar, you know, let's use 2020, I guess, for example. So a calendar year in company, you know, 1231 is their year end. If they, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say the management expects that their financial statements will be issued at the end of March. So March 31st, 2021 Mm -hmm. um, of the subsequent year. So from a going concern perspective, there's kind of two, two dates to keep in mind. One is the assessment date. So the assessment date is actually the date the financial statements are to be issued or, you know, mm-hmm. in the case of a private company are ready, readily available to be issued. Um, and then there's the look forward period, which is 12 months from that assessment date. So for um, that example, the, the going concern assessment would have to be from the year from March 31st, 2021 through March 31st, 2022, that 12-month look-forward period. That's the period they would have to think about all those relevant conditions or events and kind of think about them in aggregate and whether or not over that period they have the ability to meet their obligations. Yeah. So in practice, are they really waiting until the day they plan to issue their financial statements? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, all right, so I'm supposed to do this on the assessment day, but you know, let's say I've got to go through this big exercise where right. I've got a lot of yeah. you know things to think about and factors to weigh in, mm-hmm. and I've got forecasts I'm looking at. So the answer is no. I mean, it's done as of the assessment date, but really like management is working on this assessment, mm-hmm. you know obviously throughout what's considered the subsequent event period. So that's, you know, end of the year through the date, the financials, you have to do that subsequent event assessment. But during that period, they're also thinking about their going concern, the relevant event and conditions, Mm -hmm. um, anything that's changed after the end of the year that is in that subsequent event period that they need to keep in mind. So it's definitely, it's a process that's kind of iterative throughout the, the close process leading through the reporting process until the financials are issued. Um, and gets continually updated. Um, I think it's important, though, that, you know, management, they have a process in place to really kind of think about, you know, the events and conditions and capture those um, in involving, like we said, other stakeholders as needed Mm -hmm. um, to the extent they need to talk to legal or, um, you know, others outside the organization itself um, in order to evaluate some of that stuff. Um, That's important to keep in mind, too, because it does take time to do that. Okay. And so a big part of this analysis is looking at relevant conditions and events. What are some examples of these conditions and events that people might look at? There's a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the easiest way to think about it, and the guidance is pretty, pretty clear about mm-hmm. kind of four distinct categories that you think of when you're looking at all those relevant conditions or events um, that get broken down. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the four kind of buckets or categories you want to think about, one is the financial condition of the company itself. Mm-hmm. What are the conditional and unconditional obligations mm-hmm. that are due or anticipated to come due over that 12 month period? Um, they need to think about just the funds in general to run mm-hmm. the, the, the business itself. So funds just to operate the entity over the next 12 months. Yeah. And then they have this like generic kind of catch all, which is just the other, <laughs> other categories. So we love that other, <laughs> it's the, you know, it's the other events or conditions uh-huh. that you, you want to think about. Um, and that's really to be done in tandem with some of those first three buckets. So there's never going to be anything in that other category alone. That's mm-hmm. going to trip that substantial doubt threshold. It's right. going to have to be kind of in the aggregate with some other stuff. Okay. Um, I think one thing also just to, to iterate here is that, you know, 
but FASB, you obviously consider known events because you know them. Uh -huh. um, but you also kind of have to think about things that you might not know mm -hmm. that, that could come up. And so, you know, the FASB, you know, they, they kind of have this, this term of kind of a, like reasonably knowable, which is basically saying, Hey, you got to make a little effort to think about, you know, more than what's just on paper or known today mm -hmm. in that assessment. But obviously they don't want you to kill yourself over having to, you know, <laughs> try to predict pandemics. Right, <laughs> right. Predict things that, that are, you know, just would require undue cost or effort is kind of the terminology they mm -hmm. use. So. Okay. Maybe we could spend some time diving into each of those buckets. Sure. So the first one you said was the entity's financial condition. So what are they kind of looking for there? Yeah. So entity's financial condition is really kind of looking at just available access to liquidity okay. so it's thinking about lines of credit that mm -hmm. you have and maybe available access on a line of credit it mm -hmm. could also just be looking at um, liquid assets so cash obviously or cash mm -hmm. equivalents that you could you could easily access um, i think one of the important things here to think about is that you know especially in terms of like available credit is it has to be like committed credit to the entity so it's mm -hmm. stuff that's you know, easily accessible that they could readily access um, if needed. So, you know, plans to open a line of credit don't necessarily qualify um, right. <laughs> as, you know, kind of an evaluation of that entity's financial condition and, and access to credit there. So, yeah, because if they're in the process of negotiating a line of credit, let's say it's going to close on use that March 31st date. What if it's going to close April 15th? Can that be factored into their analysis or? you know, they might get it or how does that kind of work? You know, it really would depend if it's been committed. So like if there's, if the bank's committed to that credit mm -hmm. and the availability of that credit and it's been approved or whatever, then, you know, for sure. But I think the important here to think, to think about is in step one, you're looking at whether it's probable that substantial doubt has been raised. And so mm -hmm. if there's a plan to open a line of credit, that's more really more of like a step two exercise okay. um, that you would evaluate, you know, separate from the events and conditions that we're talking about here. So this is really like, what is, what is existing? Mm -hmm. What is the existing financial condition of the entity itself? Um, and what, you know, access to liquidity and things do they currently have? Okay. Uh, the second bucket, conditional and unconditional obligations due or coming due. How would management evaluate? The best way here to think about it is really, it's kind of twofold, I guess. I would think the first one is looking at kind of all your, the obvious ones, the contractual obligations. So mm -hmm. things you know um, that you, you have to pay. So the most common ones and the big ones that usually make or break maybe a, an assessment is going to be stuff like your debt, um, you know, contractual payments due under the debt agreement that you have to make over that 12 month period. Mm -hmm. um, another big one is leases. So if mm -hmm. you got tons of leasing activity and you've got leasing obligations, you got to satisfy. Um, that's another one. Some less common ones could be kind of purchase or funding commitments that you may have that mm -hmm. are unconditional that you have to satisfy. So, you know, where you're expected to put up additional funding because you're contractually required to do so. And then maybe a little bit less common because you know, we see fewer and fewer pension plans, but pension obligations are another mm -hmm. can be another large, you know, thing you got to think about as far as contractual um, obligations. Um, but then the other one, it would be just obviously the other side of the coin, which is non contractual right. <laughs> obligations. Yeah. And so 
I think the ones we think about in, in this case, and the most common one that probably be significant to a business could be, you know, an example would be like a, a legal settlement. Mm -hmm. So if there's a large legal settlement that is known or expected to be, you know, maybe your legal counsel has evaluated a range of what that settlement might look like, mm -hmm. you know, an obligation like that could also make or break a going concern assessment if it's significant enough. Yeah. You don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want any surprises. Third bucket is around funds necessary to maintain operations, which I assume has a lot to do with cash flow and even forecasted cash flows, right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you use the word forecast. Again, mm -hmm. it's that judgment thing. So yep. anytime <laughs> forecasting is used, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of assumptions made. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, most companies at least have a one-year forecast. It's a generally most companies have like a five-year forecast, but yep. for sure, most companies are going to have a forecast of what um, their cash flows are going to look like over the next 12 months. And obviously, you know, when you've got a forecast, like we said, mm -hmm. there's just a lot of assumptions of things that go into that. Yep. So a lot more scrutiny that gets placed on evaluating those funds that are necessary and making sure those forecasts are kind of robust. Um, I think one thing we often see sometimes with clients is that they don't they don't reconcile their forecast. So a forecast using a going concern as assessment, the assumptions there, you know, you want to make sure that they are consistent with forecasts using other parts of the business itself. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about other areas where forecasts are used, like a goodwill impairment assessment where you're forecasting cash flows, you wouldn't want to have too much disconnect between the, the two separate forecasts. You'd expect right. them to be similar. So just, right. just some things like that to keep in mind, but, you know, good reminder there. Mm-hmm. And then that fun fourth bucket, the other catch-all, what kind of stuff falls into that bucket? Like I said, it's, it is the catch-all. Um, mm -hmm. These are usually sometimes more entity specific, just, you know, other type conditions, or it could be more macroeconomic type things. So they're, you know, things we tend to focus on here are like, you know, one is financial trends could be another relevant condition. So mm -hmm. an entity's got a history of recurring losses or negative cash flows from operations could be some examples of financial trends that are, you know, pointing downward. Mm -hmm. um, you could have internal or external factors. So, you know, labor global issues, pandemics. global <laughs> pandemic for sure, you know, laws or regulation changes, mm -hmm. um, you know, things that are, within the control of the company, but also things that maybe are outside their control. And right. then there's just kind of, even within the, within the other, there's another other. Um, <laughs> so it's just like other indicators of financial difficulty. So mm -hmm. like if an entity knows it has to refinance its debt, not to yeah. be non-compliant, you know, that's obviously going to be an adverse factor that, you know, mm -hmm. could be relevant too. Okay. So they look at all of these factors in the four buckets yep. and they get that dreaded substantial doubt, <laughs> everything they hoped would not happen. So they move on to step two. What happens in step two? Yeah. So substantial doubts raised. So now they got to move, Such a bummer. move on for sure. Never, never a scenario people like to be in, but mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately it is a reality, I think, for a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of businesses, a lot of companies, um, especially in 2020, mm -hmm. um, and you know, likely could even be in some of the early parts of 2021. Um, but it's then evaluating whether that substantial doubt exists, and so this mm -hmm. is where then you need to consider: all right, what are we going to do as a company to help overcome this doubt? What kind of plans or actions can we put into place, or have mm -hmm. we already put into place 
that will allow us to kind of overcome that substantial doubt so that it doesn't exist mm -hmm. over that look forward period. Okay. What types of action can a company take to mitigate those risk factors? Yeah, so there's probably four kind of, I would say the most common ones that mm -hmm. are done. And obviously they're the most, most obvious things you would tend to think of. So, you know, one could be, you know, selling a part of the business or selling assets to raise liquidity and get access to cash more or less. So mm -hmm. that could be one possible plan. Um, you know, on the flip side, there's also like borrowing more cash. So trying to either restructure existing debt, take mm -hmm. out new debt, extend available lines of credit, things like that. So borrowing additional money, you know, sometimes it's looking at cost savings. So, you know, maybe we can't raise more cash, but we can keep more cash from going out the door. So it's delaying certain costs or reducing expenditures. So if you had large fixed asset projects plan, maybe it's scrapping those or putting them on hold for a little bit, or, you know, a lot of what we saw um, in 2020 was like a lot of companies were, you know, reducing raises or bonuses mm -hmm. or a lot of, you know, employee benefits were cut and things like right. that. So yeah. just ways to, to save some, um, some cash with the reduction of expenditures there. And then the last one is just through equity. Uh -huh. So just, you know, issuing additional, um, equity interest in the company to raise capital through equity. Okay. And this might be kind of a silly question, but how does bankruptcy play into all of this? It's like if they were to file for a bankruptcy. No, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think bankruptcy is a event or condition that points to going concern. Mm -hmm. um, so it's probably already going to have been as you lead up to that bankruptcy and you're filing for bankruptcy, you've probably in theory, been. you've probably already like gone through the going concern assessment. It's pretty rare mm -hmm. that in the prior quarter, everything would be great, nothing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the next quarter you're in bankruptcy court. Right. Um, so you tend to think that they're not saying that it couldn't happen that way, but there's usually a little bit more, I guess, um, Chicken like I said, the egg, the, the egg comes first. In the it scenario. comes back to that early warning <laughs> thing. So hopefully yeah. there was enough warning kind of showing uh -huh. deterioration um, that led to that bankruptcy. But when you're in mm -hmm. the bankruptcy, I mean, obviously there is already substantial doubt because right. you can't meet those obligations mm -hmm. and you're trying to restructure those obligations and, hopefully come up with a plan that gets you out of that mm -hmm. um, so you can reemerge from bankruptcy. Yeah. That was just pure curiosity. No, I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe stepping back to management's plans, I think like yeah. one thing to keep in mind is like, you know, you can't just come up with all these, you know, pie in the sky type plans of like, right. we'll achieve this, we'll do that. You know, the, the guidance is really specific about setting a high bar for mm -hmm. what qualifies as, as a plan that management can put into place that would help mm. alleviate the, the yeah. substantial doubt. And so that's, that's one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, that it really is a high bar. It's a high threshold to allow some of those plans that management may be thinking of to actually count towards the evaluation of step two. Okay. And so there are two considerations maybe for high bar. Looks like will be effectively implemented and will address the relevant conditions or events that gave rise to the initial substantial doubt. Right. So like any plan they come up with, they need to be sure that one, it's feasible, that mm -hmm. it can be effectively implemented. So you mm -hmm. can't just, like I said, well, we're going to raise all this additional capital. Well, if, you know, that sounds great on paper, um, yeah. but you know, that actually has to happen. So mm -hmm. you got to have 
you know, investor interest that want to do that, or, um, you know, we're going to restructure our debt with the bank. Well, you know, if you haven't talked to the bank and haven't really kind of moved forward with that process, it's really hard to argue that that's feasible, that it'll be effectively um, implemented. Mm -hmm. And then again, like, even if it is implemented, it has to also address whatever event or condition in step one that was really kind of tripping you up. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, is it timely enough to really kind of address, um, that event or condition? So if you've got obligations coming due in Q1 and your plan is we're going to sell a part of the business, but that sale isn't going to occur till in Q3 and your look forward period, then, mm-hmm you know, it's not necessarily considered it addresses the relevant condition or event. Um, so that wouldn't count towards mitigating kind of that substantial doubt. Okay. And then how does a company's past performance play into that assessment of whether they can feasibly carry out their plan? Yeah. And I think this is what some companies maybe take a little too much liberty with. And I think this is where you tend to see auditors even push back a little Mm -hmm. bit is that you know, it, it can factor in depending on who the counterparty is. So like a lot of times, you know, companies have a history of negotiating changes in debt with their, with their lenders. They've had a long working relationship and mm-hmm. the lenders have usually been agreeable with that. You know, it's still relevant to kind of think about that, but it's not safe to assume that it's always enough um, to right. say like, we've done it before. We plan to do it again. We'll get to that when it matters, you know, in that look forward period. But right now we haven't done anything. That's not going to be enough to kind of meet the high bar for a plan to mitigate substantial doubt if it was raised. Um, and it's really because, you know, especially when it comes to creditors and things like that, is that, you know, their ability to maybe extend credit or waive a covenant or something like that. It, you know, that was probably based on facts and circumstances in the past. And obviously in today's climate, when economic conditions are not as great Mm -hmm. and credit markets have sort of deteriorated, you know, lenders may not be as willing to, you know, kind of work with companies as they had in the past. So Mm -hmm. it's just something else to keep in mind. So you can't overly rely on the past. It might play in there a little bit. Right. Yeah. Best practices, you're already working with that lender, you've got the approvals in Mm -hmm. place, or, you know, there's, there's enough evidence that really kind of shows that, hey, this will be effectively implemented. We we're currently in the approval process for whatever we need from our lender. Um, And it's more so than saying, well, we've done it before. So we plan to do it again. Okay. And so I guess from step two, we have kind of two outcomes either you've mitigated the doubt or you haven't can you kind of talk about what happens in each of those scenarios yeah so and maybe even circling back to the top of our discussion about Mm -hmm. like the accounting does it change the accounting and we said no right um and that's really because going concern it's you know we said early warning but that early warning really just means it's it's a disclosure Mm -hmm. type standard so um regardless of whether those plans mitigate or not. Um, Once you get to step two, you're always going to have some level of disclosure in your financial statements. Um, And it really just depends on what that disclosure will look like, um, whether or not those plans mitigated that substantial doubt. So to the extent they have mitigated the substantial doubt, you know, the disclosure can be a little bit more abstract. It's usually going to kind of speak to principal conditions or events that kind of gave, you know, rise to the initial doubt. Um, talk about, you know, why those are significant to the financial statements and the entity as a whole. 
And then, um, you know, you might have a discussion about what plans management effectively implemented to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, that, that's really all that's disclosed. Um, on the other hand, if substantial doubt exists because the plans don't mitigate it, then there's a requirement that an entity explicitly has to state mm-hmm. that there's substantial doubt about their ability to continue as a going concern. So they have that more blanket statement, mm-hmm. which you do not have to state if your plans mitigate. You don't have to say our plans mitigate this and we are not, there is not <laughs> substantial doubt that there, we will not continue as a going concern. You don't have mm-hmm. to argue the other side. It would start to get confusing. <laughs> if you did I know I had to make sure I, I don't even know if I said that correctly, but um, yeah, so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a little bit more, um, like I said, of an abstract disclosure, not as explicit about that. Okay. And so not only management cares about going concern, we have our friends, the auditors who also care about going concern. Could you talk a little bit about the auditor perspective? You know, like I said, the going concern standard for management is relatively new. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's, I think it's been effective since 2017. Um, but going concern has always been like an auditor concept for mm-hmm. numbers of years. I think you know, back to the seventies or eighties, I don't remember the exact specific date, but it's always been a part of the, not always, but it's largely been a part of the auditing standards for a long time now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something your auditors have always focused on. Um, you know, it's for them to perform their own independent assessment. Obviously they're going to review management's assessment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're thinking through a lot of the same framework. Um, just to, you know, understand the conclusions and make sure the conclusions that management reaches is the same that they reached. And there's agreement there um, because it can have implications on the auditor report, depending on the outcome. What would impact the auditor report? Yeah. So if substantial doubt exists, Mm -hmm. um, there's a requirement under both PCAOB and AICPA auditing standards that they have to include either an additional paragraph or an emphasis of a matter paragraph that Mm. that states that there is substantial doubt. So not only will management have that somewhere in their footnote disclosures, um, but it'll also be, you know, on the face of that, that audit report, there'll be an additional paragraph that'll, you know, state the same thing. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else as we wrap up any more pressing matters about the going concern? (laughs) yeah i probably would just add one more thing about the auditor like the additional paragraph i think a lot Mm -hmm. of people get a little worried that if they have that additional paragraph then you know perhaps the audit report is considered like a qualified report or Mm -hmm. a modified report and and that's not the case you can still have an unqualified unmodified report even with that additional paragraph it doesn't change the opinion Mm -hmm. of the auditor it's really just to draw attention again for the users of the financial statements about the matter um, and then the only other thing I would kind of ask, you know, management teams not to, to forget is just around internal controls mm-hmm. um, and just making sure, especially this year with forecasts and a lot more scrutiny being placed on going concern, it's just making sure they have a lot more kind of robust process around the evaluation of the assessment, uh, making sure, you know, information that they're using, mm-hmm. obviously complete, accurate, always, always accounting buzzwords you want to keep in mind. Yep. Um, and then to the extent that there's, you know, reviews in that assessment process is just, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that the, the level of scrutiny in those reviews is, is appropriate, especially in light of the circumstances this year. Yeah. It's always important to remember controls. <laughs> well, so. if you made it through 30 minutes of accounting talking and you want to know more still, you could go to ASC 205-40, or we'll have some blog posts on our website that might be helpful. You can find these in the episode description. 
Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you found this discussion helpful. Come back soon for more Accounting Matters. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.